Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com? Here is this week's teaching. Good morning. It is good to be with you. Is it sunny out there yet? Still cloudy? All right. Hey, let me say welcome to the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail, to everyone on Church 307. It is good to be with you today. Uh, Take a look at these two circles on the screen. Uh, One is blue, one is red. But what if I told you that they are not the same size? One is bigger than the other one. Which one do you think is bigger? A little bit of an optical illusion here. How many of you think that the red one is bigger? Raise your hand. Mm, Just one. How many people think, or okay, more than that. How many people think the blue one is bigger? Okay, so everybody else uh, thinks that the blue one is bigger. How many people, when you first saw the circles, thought, no, those are the same size. I think those are the same size. Yeah. Most people, I'm assuming, thought that they were the same size. You know why you thought they were the same size? Because they're the same size. I lied to you. They're not different sizes at all. What's the point? There are times in our life when somebody that you trust, hopefully uh, many of you trust me, somebody that you trust tells you something and you just believe it. Like it goes against what you think naturally and it goes against your natural logic, but you hear them tell you and you assume they have no reason to lie to you. So you just believe them. You thought they were the same size. Well, they were the same size. And then I lied to you. I believe that most of our world is walking around believing a lie. And you know, the number of institutions that we trust and respect is decreasing. Trust in institutions is, dis- is disappearing in, in our culture. Uh, take like the news. People used to like trust the news. Now people don't trust the news or any other institution. And I, and I as people trust institutions less and less, we have an opportunity to be the trusted ones. Because I think that the world has been lied to by people that usually have been trusted, like scientists and, and, and uh, teachers, who have taught them that there is no God. They've taught them that you are an accident of a big bang and nobody intended it. It's just kind of... See, I think naturally, if we come to our own conclusions, if we just look at the world, we would come to the conclusion that a creation always has a creator, Right? Things don't build themselves. Libraries don't assemble themselves. Our world did not come from nothing. That is our first inclination. That's our first assumption. But then people who claim to know more than us go out of their way to convince us, no, you're, you're an accident. Nobody intended any of this. All of this came from nothing, and most of our world today is just kind of going along with that. Oh, okay. I believe. I am a, I, I just, I will follow. I will be, obey, whatever, and they just go along with it, with it. So then us Christians have two big challenges that we have to face. Number one, we have to get people to trust us 
so that they'll listen to us. And then number two, we've got to convince them, no, actually you've been lied to. There is a God. You are not an accident. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And this is the calling that we have been all called to. Because today is not about you, Christians. Today, I want to talk to you about those people who do not believe. We're talking about heaven and hell. How do we get people to heaven? Watch this. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Anybody know who that is? Penn from Penn and Teller. Penn Gillette is his name. Uh, not spelled the same as our Gillette. Uh, Penn Gillette is one of the most famous atheists in the world today. He's a very outspoken atheist, but he is convinced that if you really do believe there's a heaven, you must really hate everybody to not be shouting it from the rooftop on a regular basis, right? Like how much do you have to hate somebody to let them get run over by a truck without telling them the truck is coming? And this is more important than that, he says. Billy Graham said, I believe that one of the great problems in the church today is that that we're not really convinced that it is our responsibility to win people to Christ. We think it's the responsibility of the evangelist or the pastor or the missionary. But it is the responsibility of every Christian. We call it the great commission. Co not, like, not my mission, it's a commission. It's all of us together. If only pastors are telling people about Jesus, we are in big trouble. Know why? Because people trust me less than they trust you. Get this. Recently, a survey asked people about different professions. Do you trust this, the people that are in this profession on average or not? And only 39% of people say they trust clergy or pastors or priests or whatever. The world doesn't trust me. That's what this survey has found. And you might think, oh, that's just the world we live in. People don't trust people. People don't trust institutions of any kind, but that's not true. This same survey, here's what they said about other professions. 89% of people trust nurses. Anybody in the room a nurse? I know we got some. 79% of people trust doctors because apparently nurses are prettier. I don't know. 75% trust teachers. What did the teachers do to get less than doctors? I don't know, but so they're trusted more than I am. In other words, if you are a teacher, anybody a teacher? Any teachers in the room? Yeah, I know we got some. 
If you are a teacher, the world trusts you far more than they trust me. So are they going to hear you telling them about Jesus or me? It's got to be all of us. If we love people the way Jesus told us to love people, we have to tell them about Jesus. The apostle Paul told his disciple Timothy, work at telling others the good news of Jesus and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you, Timothy. You have a ministry. Teachers, you have a ministry. Nurses, you have a ministry. This week, uh, we put a, a couple hundred cups of water in a room down in uh, our kids' area. And we asked some people to walk across the room without knocking any cups over, any water cups over, but they had to do it while blindfolded. Here's, what's ha- here's what happened. Okay, here's the instructions. Without leading him around the outside of the cups, right? around the outside, right? you have to guide him from that side to this side without kicking a single cup of water. Go. Very much. Right. Go left foot, right foot. Left foot, right foot. Just going to call him without the motion. At first, I want you to shuffle forward slowly. Stop. Pick up your left foot. Put your left a little bit. Oh, that's nice. Step mid. No. Bigger step. Bigger step. Left. Go left. 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 Waving. Step left. Waving. Stop. Step down. There you go. Okay. You're going to step with your left foot and right next to your right foot. Yep. Now, right foot forward. Pretty big step. Straight. Yep. Step down. Now, big step with your left all the way forward. All the way forward. Now step with your right foot all the way forward. And take it like you're stepping over a cup. And to your left a bit. Sorry. Oh. Oh. Yeah. with three very unique strategies. Both ladies came up with the same strategy. The guys, what did they want to do? They wanted to just shout from afar. Here's what you should do and, and try to guide them through it. I don't want to get too close. Maybe he was 
didn't want to get wet or whatever. And then the ladies are like, I'll just carry you. I'll do it for you. I'll, I'll, I'll. And then Paul comes along, probably because he's the most spiritual. I don't know. <laughs> he's like, are these the only rules? All right, I'll just take the blindfold off. Here's the reality. You can't save anybody, but you sure can lead people to Christ. Our, our world is walking through danger, through, through dangers at every step, and they need somebody to show them the way. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus told a parable of a rich guy and a poor guy. You've probably heard the story. It goes like this. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. Okay, I'm, I'm going to read this again, but here's what I need you to keep in mind. Pay attention to the details of this story, okay? Because remember, Jesus made it up. He's not just using the details that, of a true story that have, had to happen. This is a, a, a made-up story. And so Jesus made up every little detail to teach us something. He's wise like that, okay? And so as we read the details of this story, take note. Why is that detail there? Let's read it again. Jesus said, there was a certain, not just a man, a rich man who was splendidly clothed in he even got specific of what color he's wearing, purple and fine linen, and who lived each day in luxury. This guy wears purple in their society. If you were wearing purple, you were royalty. And so either this guy was royalty or he was filthy, stinking rich. This is what Jesus is implying in this story. In other words, Jesus is trying to evoke a, a, a character help them to picture a specific person. If Jesus was telling us the same, same story, I think he would have just called this guy Elon Musk or Bill Gates or who else is rich, Jeff Bezos or somebody. He's like, picture somebody who's just got so much money they don't even know what to do with, okay? So we're just gonna substitute rich guy for Elon Musk in this story. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. Every detail is important. So now you've got a homeless guy living on Elon Musk's porch. And he's got sores all over him. Why does he have sores all over him? Well, in their day, if somebody was covered in sores, it's because they had leprosy. Now here's my question. Why would Elon Musk allow a homeless guy to live on his porch? Apparently, he is a very generous, rich guy. Apparently, he's got a heart to some extent. This may be the most generous story Jesus ever told. He told quite a few stories of rich guys. This may be the most generous story he ever gave to a rich person or generous description. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, why is he Longing for scraps, probably because he's had a taste. Probably because the rich man has thrown some scraps to him before and he's hoping it'll happen again. And this is the only time in one of Jesus's parables where Jesus gave a name to a character in his parable. Do you know that? Jesus never named the characters. He just described them. Yet in this one parable, 
Jesus gives a name to this poor guy. If I was making up a story and I had two characters in my story and I named one of the characters an ugly dude and I named the other character Darcy, that's my wife, what would you assume I'm trying to communicate about these two people? One's ugly and one's smoking hot. You didn't want to say it. I'll say it. So Jesus gives this poor guy the name Lazarus. Why? Who else do we know in, this, in the Bible who's named Lazarus? Jesus' best friend. He raised Lazarus from the dead. You read that in another story in the Gospels. Jesus' best friend. Why is Jesus giving a made-up character in his story the name of his best friend? What Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to tell you who is the hero of the story. Who's the good guy in this story? It's not the rich guy. It's the homeless guy with leprosy. And what are all Elon Musk's friends saying as they're coming and going from his house? What are you doing letting a homeless, contagious leper lay on your porch? Get rid of him. Don't let him lay here any longer. In fact, the dogs would come and lick this guy's open sores. Lazarus has been at this doorstep long enough that he has a friendship with Elon Musk's guard dogs. Like, he knows them. And they are licking his oozing sores. Here's what we know about leprosy. If leprosy has gotten to the point where the sores are oozing, he is at a very advanced stage of leprosy. He is a contagious leper. And just allowing this guy to be around is breaking the Jewish laws. Their laws would have required them to remove this guy from their society. They had outcast places for lepers. Like he is rebelling against the law just by having this guy on his porch. Like this is a good guy to some extent, right? Well, finally, the leprosy won. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. Heavenly banquet is what we've got here. The rich man also died and was buried. And he went to the place of the dead. The place of the dead is the description here we're getting of hell. So Lazarus is in heaven, but the rich man is in hell which in itself is catching everybody off guard as Jesus tells this story. Because they would assume that the rich guy with all this uh, power and wealth would be in heaven. They thought that power and wealth and all these good things are a result of good behavior. So his good behavior would get him to heaven. And they would see leprosy and this guy being poor as a sign that he is cursed. So he's probably going to hell, right? And Jesus switches it. He's like, no, the poor guy, Lazarus is in heaven and the rich guy is in hell. There in torment, he saw Abraham, this rich guy. The rich guy saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. 
The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. The roles have been switched, right? In Jesus' made-up story, now the rich guy has lost control and he is begging. And now Lazarus has gained control. And the rich guy is begging just for a drip of water on his tongue. On earth, the poor guy is an outcast. Apparently, even his family has abandoned him. He's having to lay on the porch of some other guy. But in heaven, he is getting to sit at the place of honor at the heavenly banquet table next to Abraham. But Abraham said to him, son, Remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. The last shall be first, the first shall be last. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here. No one's going from heaven to hell. And no one can cross over to us from there. No one's going from hell to heaven. Once you're at one, you're not not leaving it. There aren't any second chances. You're not going to do indulgences and pray somebody into heaven. It's not going to happen. The rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers. And I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. Now Elon's perspective has changed. Before it was all about physical. It was all about wealth and power and fun. Now Elon has an eternal perspective. He realizes his money on earth did nothing for him. And why did Jesus add in this story the detail that he has five brothers? This is a made-up character. We, We don't know the numbers of anything else. We don't know how many guard dogs there were. We, we don't know these specific details. If Jesus gives us specific details, it's detail in a story, he's trying to get us to think about something. I have a theory. I think Jesus was trying to communicate this rich guy did not have five brothers. Jesus gave this rich man a sixth brother. He didn't want the rich guy just to throw scraps to the poor guy, just to let him live on his porch. He put this guy in the rich, Lazarus in the rich guy's path so that he would invite him in to build a relationship with him, to give sacrificially to him. It's the difference of driving by a homeless guy and maybe throwing a bag of McDonald's food at him or building a relationship with him. It's the difference of seeing that guy at work that that you work with and, and he's struggling and saying something in passing or actually getting to know him, actually having a conversation with him about his struggles. It's about reaching out to somebody when they are in need or when they have questions and building a relationship. 
This is what Jesus is trying to communicate. It's not enough just to be kind in passing. You got to do the next step. You've got to build a relationship. What do we know about Jesus? Jesus also broke the leper laws in his culture. In fact, we know that Jesus touched lepers. Touched them. Contagious lepers. Jesus could have shouted at lepers from a distance. We saw him heal in all kinds of different ways. He never did it the same way twice. He could have shouted from a distance and healed the lepers. But he didn't. He touched them. Jesus gave the rich man a sixth brother. And he maybe gave to him from afar, but he did not invite him in. Christians, that's how we are taught how to reach lost people. It's radical love. It's building relationships that the world would say you should not build relationships with. Jesus is sitting at dinner tables with prostitutes and tax collectors and zealots, outcasts of all kinds. Come as you are, all of you. Let's love each other. Let's get to know each other. Let's build friendships. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to the scriptures, to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And they didn't know it yet. But someone was about to rise from the dead. When Jesus talks about hell, it was almost always as a motivation to his followers to keep people from going there. He didn't use it as a fear tactic to scare non-Christians into heaven, but he used it as a fear tactic to get Christians to share their faith. When I was in college, uh, I, I was always the, hey, come on, let's go, guy. Let, let's do something fun. Let, let's go Taco Bell run. I gained a lot of weight in college. It was not good. Let, let's go do something fun. Let, let's go hang out. I think a little bit I was compensating because I wasn't that popular in high school and I was a late bloomer and I was always jealous of my twin brother who was a foot taller than me. And what I finally hit a growth spurt in college in both directions. And I realized, okay, now people think I'm one of them. And, and I, I thought it was so cool. And I wanted to build all these friendships and I was building friendships in a way that I never had in high school. And it was a blast. We're always throwing a party. We're always doing something fun. And that I was, I was just like always inviting people to parties. And then we graduated from college and all our friends get married and we get married and a little bit of separation happens in that way. And then all them start having kids. Darcy and I were late bloomers in that area too. So they're all hanging out with their babies all the time. And we're always like, come on, let's play some games or let's go to a movie or let's go hang out. And they're like, we can't, we've got to be in bed by 8 p.m. Like, 
lame, right? Anybody been there? All your friends have kids and they're, they're moved on and like, no, come on, this, you can, let's make time. I'll, figure something, get a babysitter, do something. No, we gotta wipe butts and stuff. We don't have time to hang out with you, Mike. You're too young, we're older than you now, even though we're the same age. And then finally we have kids and we realize, oh, you're just tired all the time. That's what it is. And so I think what happens the older we get and the longer we live our lives is we all just kind of retreat to ourselves. I got my castle, you got your castle, you got your job and you got your job. We just kind of separate. Now, maybe our wives have friendships and sometimes the guys get in on that a little bit, but not so much us. We're like Mitch and Grant just, or Mitch and Zach just yelling at each other from afar. Hey, you should. Here's the truth. Here's the right way. Just yelling at each other, right? What would it look like if we had a, hey, come on, let's church. Let, let's, let's hang out. Let's build relationships. Let's go to coffee. Let's go to lunch. Let's, let's be strategic. Let's make a life group. Okay, we all got young kids, so let's get them all together and let's do it all together. Let's build relationships. And then in doing that, what if we invite some people in who are nothing like us, who don't look like they belong, who don't look like they should be part of our clique, part of the in-group, who you would not normally assume Christians would hang out with like Jesus did? What if we build relationships? Because I think that's the type of evangelism that Jesus taught us to do. Love people. Go out of your way to build a relationship with somebody at work that you wouldn't normally build a relationship with. That's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And that's the type of life that Jesus called us to live. When you came in today, you were given a card that just kind of is a, this is just the current way that the social media algorithms use to determine who they're putting our uh, videos on their timelines or whatever. So like if you, a bunch of you watch a video that we put on Facebook, Facebook's like, oh, people must like this video. I'll put it on more people's Facebooks. And so more people watch it. More clicks means more watches. And we've, and because of this, um, these interactions on social media, I've been having a lot of conversations with people lately that you would never assume I would have conversations with. A lot of atheists, a lot of people who don't agree with anything I say, I've gotten to have conversations with a lot of them. And I'm realizing that many of these people have just never had a conversation with a Christian. Like the misconceptions and the lies that they believe about Christians are just absurd. The things that they believe about the Bible and the things they believe about what we believe are just insane. Like they're entirely post-Christian. They don't have them. They, they didn't grow up in the church. They didn't have any kind of experience where they were hurt by the church or anything like that. All they're doing is believing a bunch of lies about us. So what is the only thing we can do? The only thing we can do to correct these lies is to get to know them, to introduce them to some Christians who, who live sacrificially, who give more than they get, who love more than they are loved. That's the type of Christian they need to know. They need to see that Christians are more likely to be hope-filled, not hopeless. To be joyful, not anxious. And as they get to know us, then we can share with them the gospel. Then we can share with them the truth. 
that Jesus came to teach. God, I pray that you would help us to live more like you lived, to love, to sacrifice for others, to go out of our way, to see the people that you put in our path and not to just shout truth at them from a distance, but to love them to it. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.